What is going on, Sharp Football Fantasy family? It is your resident Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar, and we have made it to week seven, which is typically in most fantasy leagues, the halfway point of the regular season. Uh, you know, granted, if you're in the FFPC or something like that, you know, it's still even you, you hit that week last week. Uh, but yeah, this is case basically turning the corner. We're going to be looking at the back half of the fantasy season. Uh, still early in the actual real NFL season, early-ish, a third of the way through. Uh, with that, you know, no more uh, spieling here to intro the show. I'll bring my guest in right now. And this week, I am joined by Sam Hoppin from 4 for 4 and Betsperts. We had Sam on the show last year. It's great. I may have ran into him in Canton this year. I wanted to get him back on the show, uh, and I'm glad to have him back. Sam, what's going on? Rich, thanks for having me on. It was, uh, like you mentioned, great to meet you in person. Met a lot of people in person in Canton, which was always nice to uh, put some names to faces. Yeah, it's always great catching up, and that's been a great event that Bob's put on. I'm 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 grateful that something's actually near me. One of these events are near me, and I can I can go. It's only an hour south drive for me, so it's nice. And like yeah. sometimes on Sunday when you're there all weekend and you've talked to everybody, it's like oh, I can just sneak out of here and drive home. Like this, this is all right. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit better than the six and a half hour drive I had to make. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's not too bad, though. I mean, sh- Chicago to this area is not the worst drive. You basically just no. take you're on 90 the whole way. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, we had made the, the the kind of joke I asked if you ran here because you are uh, you're, you're not like a professional runner, but you kind of are. Uh, you just ran the, the Chicago Marathon, correct? I did. That was what, 10 days ago now, nine days ago. Uh, legs are feeling much better than they were nine days ago, for sure. Does it take a few days? To, does it just... It does. I had gone for, I think I went for a run last Thursday and my quads were not very happy with me doing that. Oh man. Well, listen, the fantasy season is kind of a marathon in itself. And like I said, we're basically a third of the way through the real NFL season and we've had some disappointments along the way. Is there a player that has really not popped yet, but that you still feel like still feel relatively bullish on rest of the season. Yeah, that guy for me is Chris Godwin. He's wide receiver 57 on the year, wide receiver 34 in points per game. Left week one with the injury and then missed weeks two and three. And everyone was complaining about the Bucks rushing him back too mm-hmm. soon. But over the last three weeks has games with 10 and 13 targets. Week five was down to six and just ran around on 52% of dropbacks in that game. The Bucks, who I think we're going to talk about a little bit more later, are starting to pass a lot more frequently, too. Through the first couple of weeks, they had, I think, a negative pass rate over expectation. And inexplicably, last week against the Steelers, decimated secondary, didn't pass the ball that much either. But it looks like they're trending in the right direction from a fantasy perspective and passing the ball a little bit more. And I think as Godwin becomes more and more removed from that injury will remain a fixture in that offense and has shown that he's one of Tom Brady's favorite targets. Yeah, I love that call. I think Godwin set up really well the rest of the season. Uh, you know, we've we really seen him outside of the hamstring kind of, you know, unfortunate uh, injury they picked up in that season opener. We've seen him really kind of just been leaned on in these two of these past three games when they've really been yeah. pressed uh, against the Chiefs and then the, the Steelers. Yeah, which is crazy. I, I lost the, the my survivor this week with picking the Bucks. Uh, 
But, you know, two weeks ago we saw them kind of do some load management with him. I hope we don't see that today. I really love him in this particular matchup this weekend against the Panthers who have been really struggled uh, against slot receivers particularly. So I'm really looking for Chris Godwin to have a real breakout game this week. And we'll talk about the Bucs in a little bit, but I think there's some passing touchdowns coming for the Bucs here down the rest of the season as well. Uh, so listen, you have an article that plays into your last name, uh, four for four, uh, it is called hopping to conclusions. I, I sent you the invite to the show a minute ago and I was specifically made sure I said, jump in instead of hop in. <laughs> I've really tried to pull back, but it's a great title for, uh, the, the article that you have, uh, give people just kind of a, a top down kind of view, a 10,000 foot view of what that article is per week and then where they can find it on the site. Yeah, I've uh, I've heard my share of pun puns uh, based on my last name throughout my life, so now I'm just I'm leaning into it. Um, but hopping to conclusions comes out every week on Wednesday mornings and includes a number of charts that I've put together. Some that look at the team level for pace and passing, and then a couple that look at positional level for running backs, receivers, and tight ends and Then I add some commentary below each to give my thoughts on what I see in the chart and what I've seen in the trends and give some actionable takeaways based on that as well. No, I love that. If you you follow Sam on Twitter, like you should, I mean, he is a man of just many charts, a lot of visuals. If you like that stuff, you can can quickly see kind of even more players that we don't talk about throughout the course of this podcast that bring up. I mean, they're basically every name name player, all teams. You can see all the data on his just Twitter feed alone, even outside of the article. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some players this week and for the rest of the season, tying into some of those charts that you post on Twitter. You have great charts on like pass rate over expectation, high value touches for running backs. I saw you just post like man versus zone splits for wide receivers. You do concentration of team targets. So let's talk about some team situations and players kind of under the umbrella of some of those charts that you do post. Uh, One of the big situations that everyone's excited for this weekend is the return of Dak Prescott. You know, it looks like he's on track to come back this week for the Cowboys. And when we look at kind of the Cowboys from like a pass rate, versus expectation stance to this point. They are a team that really wasn't challenged for a lot of the games that they had Cooper Cup starting. Cooper Rush, that's not Cooper Rush, uh, Cooper Cup, not Cooper Cup, but Cooper Rush. Uh, they really kind of just didn't put Cooper Rush in any situations where they really pressed him. Like they they threw when they had to with Cooper Rush, but they weren't really saying Cooper Rush got here and start, start us off on fire. And then when you look at it from a stance of where the Cowboys were offensively, this team had really has struggled to generate points on drives without Dak Prescott. So what, what what can we expect from Dak Prescott in the terms of just lifting the tides of this offense and maybe some changes that we'll see from like a, an aggressive stance and reaching the red zone? So this, this year, the Cowboys have had a negative pass rate over expectation in every single game. I think they're bottom five right now in the league in pass rate over expectation total. But last year, they were eighth overall, and they were throwing a lot more, obviously. Now, the defense for the Cowboys this year has been good enough and have put them in situations where they really don't have to be throwing the ball that much. I think you know, I don't remember what podcast it was, but a couple of weeks ago, the someone pointed out that the Cowboys basically know what they have in Cooper Rush, and they're not mm-hmm. going to extend the boundaries of what he can do. And the hope is that the Cowboys do extend that with 
Dak when he returns. So I do think there are some positive signs that when he comes back, they are going to pass the ball a little bit more. Now they may ease him into it more than uh, people hope, and it may take some time, but I'm optimistic that guys like CD Lamb will continue to get the volume and not only will his share of targets stay the same, but the the volume of targets he'll get will go up as well. Yeah, I think when you look at it from CeeDee Lamb's perspective is that, you know, we his supplier we drafted basically at the one-two turn. He got elevated because we thought he would be the only target in this offense that we thought was going to generate points. That hasn't happened so far from the points perspective because of the lack of Dak Prescott, but his per route metrics are really high. I mean, he's being targeted uh, 33% of the time. It's the highest individual team target share in the league. He has over 27% of the team targets in every game, but when you don't have a lot of targets and a lot of routes run, uh, you know, you don't pop, but he's been yeah. fine. He's, he's treaded water. Like he hasn't been bad at all, but you're hoping now that if the pass rate, you know, versus expectation can at least climb to neutral and potentially go over that all of those metrics that we talk about that, we look for targets for outrun and team target share. Those can kind of like really kind of really flourish yeah. and grow into actual fantasy points. These big crooked lines where he can compete with some of these front end wide receivers. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what we'll get this week uh, with Detroit Dallas. We might talk about this game a little bit in the week seven section uh, because I've, I'm generally a more cautious gamer when it comes to guys coming back from multi-week injuries and especially quarterbacks, quarterback performances when they have missed multiple games tend to, they tend to start slow. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a thumb injury too. So, but it is a great matchup versus the Lions, which we'll dig into. So, we'll be curious yeah. to see how we end up playing things. Um, the Cowboys also have reached the their thirtieth in red zone plays this year uh, because of all the things we talked about. And as a byproduct, uh, Zeke Elliott only has four red zone touches. Uh, he has eighty six touches this year and four in the red zone. Uh, only JD McKissick has a lower rate of actual percentage of touches that come in the red zone uh, among running backs. So maybe a little bit of life there too, for the running backs. Although Zeke is conceding a little more work to Tony Pollard in years past. And the receptions are the one thing that we probably can't really bank on, right. For the Cowboys running backs, like they didn't, even in the one, one game sample with Dak Prescott, these guys weren't targeted and that's kind of been the thorn for the Cowboys guys so far, but maybe some touchdowns will be coming along the way. For those guys, uh, one team that was really been up Jekyll and Hyde this year, trying to figure out the identity of how they want to operate this offense is the Cincinnati Bengals. And this is a, a struggle that we've had with Zach Taylor for multiple seasons now. Uh, and we've kind of gone back and forth. But last week they swerved into it. They ran shotgun on 96 percent of their dropbacks. The only two plays they didn't run shotgun on were a QB sneak and a QB kneel. Uh, so good news if they're going to stick with that. You know, the Bengals were someone that were like a team that was like, well, we're facing all this too high looks. Like we we need to play more under center to get teams out of those looks. But then they just sucked under center. They couldn't run. They couldn't do anything. So is this something like we think we're going to see like moving forward with the Bengals, something we can tack on to? Do you believe this is like a one game kind of fluky thing where they were aggressive throwing the football out of shotgun? Or uh, what's your take on this? I do think it, we can't trust this going forward through the first two weeks of the season, the Bengals had a negative 2% pass rate over expectation. I think a lot of people thought, well, they're, you know, they're putting the Corvette back in the garage and 
because at the end of last year, they did start to pass the ball a lot more because they have all of these great weapons in Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. But since week three, they have an 8.7% pass rate over expectation that's fourth highest in the league over that span. They are one of the most concentrated passing attacks from a target share perspective. Chase Higgins and Boyd combined for a 67% target share, which is the eighth highest total in the league. Um, all three of these receivers are running a route on over 90% of the team's snaps when they're healthy. So I think all three of these guys have a chance to go off in any given week. Tyler Boyd, obviously the sort of the third guy behind Higgins and Chase, but it's, I think one thing I've started to appreciate with teams more lately is them actually teams actually leaning into what works for them and what goes well for them. I think we'll talk about the, the Falcons a little bit later, but the Bengals are really good at passing the ball. They have all of these weapons. Joe Burrow has taken a step back this year, but on the whole is a very good quarterback. So I think, yes, we can't trust them going forward. I think they, you know, do they have as much passing as they did this past week? Probably not. But if it's, you know, above expectation, that is certainly enough for all three of these receivers to make their hay. Yeah, the Bengals are a, a team we keep going back and forth. And, and structurally, what that did, the changes they've made in recent weeks is, has made Joe Mixon a little bit of a better player, too. I know we're not getting like the expected fantasy points that, you know, people were so mad about not getting those first four games of the season. But as a byproduct of the Bengals kind of shifting to this more uh, getting away from the under center offense. I mean, 20, 20 of Mixon's 22 carries the past two weeks have come out of shotgun. He's averaging six. 0.2 yards per carry over five yards per carry both games and but the big thing is he's averaging 3.3 yards prior to contact on those runs uh something he wasn't getting under center at all so hopefully he can just make uh mix in a more efficient player even with the volume reduction because we don't care about expected fantasy points when we do a little bit but like we we don't get points for those uh we care about the one the, the actual production and we started to see Mixon be a productive football player on less volume uh, the past two weeks. So hopefully this is something that lifts all tides for all members of the offense, not even just the passing game. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that that the Falcons are an interesting team. We're definitely going to talk about them in that matchup. Uh, a, a team that's gone the opposite direction that was very pass heavy, has good weapons, uh, you know, in the passing game is the New York Jets. Uh, but since Zach Wilson has come back, they have really kind of swerved into not really putting a lot on his plate, letting this young, aggressive defense kind of win them football games. And we have now turned into that we have one good starter on the Jets offense in Brees Hall uh, and some sad, good wide receivers that we can't play. So what's going on with the Jets right now? Yeah, I again, I, I'm going to cite pass rate over expectation <laughs> a ton here, but I, I it's one of my favorite stats to use because it captures all of the context of whether teams right. are ahead or behind in you know neutral scripts, all that sort of stuff. But since Jet, Zach Wilson started, the Jets have a negative 7.3% pass rate over expectation, which isn't exactly screaming, hey, we trust our second-year quarterback. Now, mm-hmm. again, they're winning games, so you can't necessarily fault them for that, but – Elijah Moore in the past three weeks has just eight targets. He didn't get a single target this past week. He 
he tweeted something out, which <laughs> said he wasn't going to say anything, but by tweeting something, he's saying something. Yeah. <laughs> and Garrett Wilson has 15 targets, so a little bit better. That's about a 21% target share. And then Corey Davis is sort of hanging around. He's averaging 55 yards per game with Wilson this year, which is the most of those three. So I, you know, you mentioned the FFPC leagues. You're not going to drop Elijah Moore in those, but if you're in shallower leagues and you need production right away, like I wouldn't blame you for dropping more. It seems like Wilson has potentially eclipsed him on the depth chart. And I would rather bet on Wilson going forward. I, you know, Corey Davis might have some decent weeks going forward, but I don't, I don't think his production is going to be sustainable for, for week seven, Denver has the second highest rate of snaps in too high pre-snap, which is a, a stat from Arjun Menon over at PFF. And per Sports Info Solutions, Zach Wilson has a 22% success rate against cover two. So I don't think you want to start any of these guys this week for sure if you have the option. Now, there are a bunch of notable receivers in Diggs, A.J. Brown, who are on by this week. So you may not have a better option, but they're, it, it doesn't look great by any means. So it's 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 kind of weird because again when when Zach Wilson was announced the starter everyone was backing on Elijah Moore because of the rapport he had with him last year and that just hasn't translated yeah and you look at the Jets kind of layout here they're they're really in a situation not to like be pressed for largely the rest of the fantasy regular season they do have a game with the Bills where you're like all right they can get into at least we can chase some volume but they play the Broncos this weekend and who haven't exactly <laughs> lit the world on fire at any point and everyone's watched them because they've been on primetime like four times already. Uh, they've got two games against the Patriots, obviously a bye week sandwich in there. And they also play the Bears. So it's like they play a lot of teams that like probably aren't going to run away from them outside of the Bills. Mm-hmm. So we could see this pretty consistently where they're just trying to nurture uh, Zach Wilson and some growth from him. Uh, because obviously they they have to see this thing through, right? Like it's right. he's in year two. Uh, Zach Wilson under pressure, four of twenty three passing so far uh, for two point one yards per pass attempt. Pretty pretty insane. He is averaging ten point one yards per pass attempt when kept clean. So something a little, little bit of positive. Uh, you know, I always look at kept clean stats and like if you're bad in that, then like there's really probably no hope for you. Like you know, yeah. kind of how Carson Wentz's career has been. But at least Wilson, you can say, all right, he has played like in structure, kept clean. Like there's something still like positive to latch onto in this sea of kind of like negativity. So we'll keep yeah. the lights on because there's too many good players on the Jets, right? Like there's. It, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like at this point, you want to see what you have mm-hmm. in Zach Wilson. And again, because they are four and two, if they're one and five or, or two and four, maybe they just say, you know, screw it. Let's. Let's throw Zach Wilson out there into the fire and see what we have. But he is one of the few young quarterbacks who has a great wide receiver room that you can learn about Wilson as a talent and understand Mm -hmm. if it's him or if it's the receivers with guys like Daniel Jones, who has ostensibly nobody to throw to right now. It's tough to evaluate him and see if he's the future. Now the Jets have that situation right now. So why not drop him back a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, the, it, when coaches are faced in a situation like the Jets are right now, they almost choose the option the Jets are choosing, right? Like, yeah, it, it almost always is. Like when you're like, 
uh, almost like a, a quasi contender, right? Like, I don't think that the, maybe everyone outside of the Jets office definitely probably doesn't treat them as a Super Bowl contender. This is a good story, uh, and you feel I mean, good. Jets fans <laughs> probably do. <laughs> yeah uh yeah so i mean but coaches will always kind of take this instead of saying like we can learn a lot more by just being aggressive with zach wilson they almost always choose the path that the jets are taking getting wins yeah. and so, so it's, it is one of those like weird areas uh where we can look at it from the outside and say hey you know you could learn a lot more from this uh, instead of winning games but uh you know because it might catch up to you down the road but they almost never choose that yeah. uh uh, one of the fun teams from from week six that kind of changed their identity too a little bit was the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, not only did they throw the ball a lot, they ran uh, a ton of no huddle, which they hadn't done, you know, prior to any games this season. And it worked. You know, obviously they got the win, but their offense was just a lot more effective than it's been. I mean, this is a team that has really struggled offensively the opening five weeks of the season uh, until last week. They've run a different number of offensive line combinations out there. They're just trying to figure stuff out. But that game also came without Jonathan Taylor on the field, who's yeah. expected to come back this week. So with Jonathan Taylor coming back, how sticky can we kind of expect some of the things they did last week to roll over? Uh, and how are we going to handle uh, the Colts, you know, kind of moving forward here? Because, you know, guys like Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor were, came with high draft investment. I don't think that the high-passing – continues. Matt Ryan had 59 dropbacks in week six. That was the second most dropbacks for the Colts in the Frank Reich era, excluding overtime. And it's only the first time since 2019, since they've had uh, 50 more or more dropbacks. And most of those high passing games came when uh, Andrew Luck was still on the team. So I think they go back to a little bit more, a little bit more even split and, I do still think that Michael Pittman can be started. He's one of mm -hmm. two Colts players averaging more than the uh, 12 expected PPR points per game. Had a great game this past week, was targeted like crazy. I do think Alec Pierce is worth a look in some deeper leagues. He has yet to run a route on more than 80% of dropbacks, but is it, he seems to be getting targeted at a decent rate uh, per route. And... That said, Paris Campbell has been over the 80% route mark in all but one game, and he didn't have more than four targets in a game before this past week. So I think Paris Campbell is one to sort of stay away from and think that that high target volume is something that's going to go away in the future. Yeah, it's tough to chase what Paris Campbell did last week. I mean, especially because you, you like the 11 targets, but they still came with just 57 yards, right? Like, yeah. uh, and that was the one thing that just as aggressive as the Colts were, it was like an, it was like a, an aggressive, non-aggressive offense in a way, like because they still weren't really pushing the ball downfield outside of that long touchdown that won the game. Uh, and, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but Michael Pittman's average depth of target is significantly down from years past, and it mm -hmm. seems like he's – they're turning him into a possession receiver, which is not what you would expect with him. And, you know, given his contested catch ability. Yeah. So Michael Pittman's longest uh, target downfield this year is 17 yards. Uh, not great. Doesn't have a target over 20 yards downfield. Uh, even last week, his depth of target was just four and a half yards downfield. But if you're going to do that, at least give us 16 targets, right? Like we'll take yeah. that. Uh, yeah. I've, I've made the joke that they've turned him into not even a joke, just kind of the analysis that they've turned him into their Jacoby Myers. Like, 
he's kind of just like running all that's, all he runs. That's a good like, comp. Yeah, he's just running. All he's running is like drag slants and hitches. Like it's like all he's doing in the offense. Yeah. So we need a lot more targets than we probably anticipated. But uh, I had some people calling him a bust, and I'm like, you're still getting there. Like he still has a floor, and he's seeing yeah. a, a high rate of targets in the offense. Um, so there still is a floor there. We've made worse picks than Michael Pittman, believe me. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> uh, I definitely have as well. Um, through six weeks, obviously we had two weeks in a row where we didn't have Jonathan Taylor on the field. The previous two games, he was on the field. He ran 20 times. Uh, we ran 40 times for 113 yards. Not exactly the greatest run out. We've seen him start slow last year. I get a lot of questions about Jonathan Taylor trades. Is he someone that you still want to buy if you can, or is he someone that you're a little more tra- have a little more trepidation on due to the offensive environment the Colts have shown so far to start a year? I do want to buy Jonathan Taylor right now. I was very high on Naheem Hines entering the season because Frank Reich was hyping him up. He has always had a role in that offense, mm-hmm. but he has essentially been phased out of the offense at this point is also dealing with uh, his own injury situation with the concussion. But in his four games played, Jonathan Taylor was running a route on nearly 64% of the team's dropbacks, which is incredible. And he's taking all of that away from Naeem Hines. You saw in the game this past week that they essentially treated Deion Jackson as a workload. And I don't think they have any reason not to do that with Jonathan Taylor moving forward. So with, let's see, he's got, he's averaging 24 opportunities per game. I mean, Mm -hmm. that workload is the dream workload for any running back in fantasy football. I think whether the touches are efficient or not is not ideal right now, but eventually I think that's going to pay off and you're going to get the scoring to come with that volume. Yeah, the Colts, and you know, it may not matter because of the state of their offensive line, but you know, their rest of the season run schedule is top five for us the remainder of the season. So hopefully they can just alleviate some of the issues they've had up front. Yeah, I mean, if they use Jonathan Taylor like they used Deion Jackson last week, like he would have a shot yeah. to break fantasy football. Like, oh yeah. Like Jonathan Taylor with like that many catches, like, yeah, absolutely incredible. Uh we've seen even Derek Henry just a little bit of catches what he could do. So if we can get Jonathan Taylor some extra catches too, I mean, man, uh, as exciting as Deion Jackson was, um, yeah. We definitely will take some catches if we can get them. Uh, we did talk about the Bucks a little bit, um, and they've they've had a change. They've had a lot of moving parts this this season, at least in the front part of the season, offensive line, receivers coming in and out of the lineup. But they started to throw the football a lot, and we still haven't gotten any like real fantasy points out of it. Um, are they kind of? Do you feel like they're a sleeping giant? Or are you buying into some of the like? ancillary narratives that are going on with the bucks in terms of like off the field stuff. And you feel like the foundation is cracking a little bit. There, there certainly is more trepidation now than there was at the beginning or before the season started, but from a, it, it is very tough because they just don't look the same. And, you know, Tom Brady was throwing balls into the ground a couple of yards short of his receivers in the game against the Steelers. But I I believe that the talent for all of these pass catchers and players will eventually win out. They'll need to score more points. Again, this is it's similar to the Cowboys in that their defense has been so good that they haven't really had a, a chance 
or, or need to press the ball. And when they did against the Chiefs, they, I mean, they, I think they ran it, what, like six times in that game? And just the volume was was there. And that's what you want for a lot of these fantasy pieces. So Tom Brady as a fantasy quarterback, I'm probably not trusting moving forward uh, unless I need to cover up a bye week for some of these more important quarterbacks. But all of these other players, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Leonard Fournette are all, I think, in a good position to succeed down the road. Yeah, I mean, we would think that the touchdowns, so there would be at least some regression here. I mean, they, they've been in the red zone nine times the past two weeks, and they've got three offensive touchdowns. Oh. Uh, you know, figure that that has to, like, the dam has to break. If we keep getting on the doorstep, that they're going to knock some of these in for some actual touchdowns. Uh, it's a team that's really struggled to run the football this season as well. So, I mean, you know, Brady's sitting on that 3, 3.2% touchdown rate after being over 6% the past two years of the Bucks. I don't. I doubt we probably get back to that 6% now. But uh, anything from this point going forward where it's close to that and we can kind of smooth out the season, the season-long yeah. total, probably looks a lot better now, um, yeah, than, than it has so far. But, they, yeah, it has been uh, a struggle. Like I said, I, they were my survivor pick last week and let me down. Uh, what a tease. Uh, what a tease. Uh, one of the teams we also kind of talked about early on was the, the Falcons. And the Falcons right now have these two players in Kyle Pitts and – Drake London that are combining, like they look great from like a target share perspective, right? And targets per route run, they're popping on all these metrics. Like we look at for like a signal of like, these are effective football players, but they haven't had more than 20 team targets available in any of the past four games. Uh, we obviously you're, you're just putting pits in, like you're just setting a lineup with him because what other choice do you really have as a tight end position? Drake London now has become like a, a start sick conundrum on a weekly basis. How do you handle the Falcons pass catchers from like a start sit perspective, a rest of the season perspective, this week perspective is a situation where you think they're going to be pressed to throw uh, potentially against the Bengals. Um, how are you treating these Falcons pass catchers? I I think again you you have to keep starting Kyle Pitts if you if you drafted him you drafted him as someone you're going to start every week it's just about managing expectations and understanding what you're going to get from him it's you know from a buy sell perspective I think if you're in a position where you're four and two five and one and don't have a great tight end Kyle Pitts could be someone you're targeting because you potentially have the flexibility to you know, pray that the better, you know, cooler heads prevail and he starts to get targeted more. But this is what I mentioned with the Bengals is the Falcons are running the ball and they're running the ball well, and they're winning games with that strategy. It's kind of like the Eagles last year where they Mm -hmm. were running the ball and they kept winning and the, the coaching staff just leaned into it. What is kind of crazy and is frustrating is again, you mentioned that on a, on a rate basis, on a per game basis, the targets and the target share are there for London and Pitts. But Brian Edwards has two end zone targets. Demir Bird, Keith Smith, and Michael Pruitt all have an end zone target. And it's like, it, it just doesn't make sense when guys like those are getting involved that close in the scoring range, as opposed to Drake London and Kyle Pitts. And so I think again, those two are the only two that you want to start. You're, you're never going to bank on any of these other players to have any sort of um, any sort of fantasy value on a week-to-week basis. But yeah, Drake London is tough. I've got him in a couple of leagues, and 
it's it's one of those situations where again this week specifically like a lot of top receivers are out I'm, I'm plugging him in but again we thought I think I think a lot of people last week thought that they'd be having to throw the ball a ton against the 49ers who had have a great defense and have had an offense that's pretty solid but they got up big and then just continued to run the ball a ton so they're currently battling the the Bears or challenging the Bears as the most run-heavy team. And with Marcus Mariota under center, I think they continue to have that sort of run-heavy approach moving forward. Yeah, the Falcons are a very interesting team because they're they're not like a like a, like an army or, or a navy service school where like they're running like the triple option stuff, but they are a unique offense in the context of like in a week turnaround where you have a week to practice, really just a few days of practice when you factor in off days, uh, they just run a, a run scheme that isn't run by really anybody else in the NFL. So it's giving teams a lot of, of trouble. And you see, like, they're able to just plug in guys like Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley and, and keep this thing moving, right? Like, it's not like they're just, they're, they're like swapping out, you know, really high-end talent for another high-end talent. And they're able to just keep having success here. Uh, the scheme is winning them games. And then you factor in the addition of Marcus Mariota and his rushing. I mean, they're using so much pistol, way more pistol than any team in the NFL. Um, maybe the Bengals who just faced the Ravens two weeks ago have just a little bit like in their chamber of being, facing some of that those pistol looks. But the Falcons really run a unique offense compared to a lot of teams. And with just not as much time to prepare for them, they're having a lot of success doing it. And it's hard to see them coming out. Yeah, it does make London a very tricky player to handle because like I said, all the peripheral stuff is there. Like, and it's just like, man, if they ever have a game where they have to throw 35 times, like it's like these four target games are going to turn into eight to 10 target games. Um, but chasing those is a lot harder to diagnose uh, as we learned last week, which is unfortunate. Um, the team that they played last week, the 49ers, they've really not had the same thumbprint of like previous Kyle Shanahan teams. I mean, this run game is absolutely struggling right now. They're 28th in the NFL in success, success rate running the football. They've gotten a little more aggressive throwing the football the past two weeks. Game script helped them out a little bit last week, but we would assume this week that game script probably going to push them again. They've got a number of defensive injuries now that are adding up. And we've seen that even against teams like the Falcons, like they struggle to, to stop the Falcons at any point last game. Um, They've got talent. Like, this is the same thing we've talked about the Falcons guys at the 49ers, right? Like, we've cited Brandon Ayuk's target share, and it's never really mattered, right? Because you're like, oh, he's getting 20% of team targets, but it's six targets a game. Uh, you know, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, these guys are having high target shares and high target rate per route runs, but it was low volume. Now that we're mm -hmm. starting to see some volume from the 49ers offense, is there a lot more ceiling in play here now for the 49ers pass catchers? I do think so, since Jimmy G took over as the starter, so I'm not including the, the Week 2 game that he came in relief. San Francisco ranks 10th in pass rate over expectation at 1.1%, which you see and you think, well, that's not very much. But relative to 49ers teams in the past, that mm -hmm. is pretty high. And this is one of the most concentrated passing attacks, which is exactly what you want to see. Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo Samuel are combining for almost a 70% target share uh, between the three of them. And it's really just the three of them. They're all running a route on over 85% of the team's dropbacks. So when they are passing the ball, it's almost exclusively to those three. The running backs are rarely involved in the passing game. And so, yes, I do think the ceiling for all three of these guys 
is a lot higher. What is kind of interesting is George Kittle's average depth of target with Jimmy Garoppolo is down to 4.1 yards, which is is not great. You'd like to see that bumped up just a little bit. And I think he's been disappointed from the sense in that he hasn't scored a touchdown yet this season. But averaging six targets a game for almost any tight end is really solid. And I think, again, these guys are starting to become I, – I, I mean, I think this week I'd rather start Brandon Ayuk over Drake London uh, if I had that decision to make because I, I believe, you know, in Shanahan's scheme too as well to be able to get them open and have them make plays after the catch. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And the, their team I'm looking at this week too, particularly in that 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 late late, late window to potentially push to throw the football a lot again. Um this team, the Eagles don't play this week, but I wanted to get your take on it anyways. Uh, they just are a team that just hasn't had to do anything in the second half of any game this season. Uh, Jalen Hurts, he finally threw his, his first touchdown pass in the second half last week. But uh, you look at the Eagles' schedule, and they don't face anyone, really, the rest of the way. Maybe until they play the Cowboys again, they have a game against the Packers. But is anyone going to push the Eagles for a full game and make them really have to throw the football? I mean – no, I, I don't think so. Again, they played the Steelers, Texans, Commanders, Colts, Packers, Titans. I, I no, no, None of those teams are scary. Like before the season, you would have said the Packers, but they look like a shell of their, their former selves. And the best hope you probably have is against the Cowboys in week 16, which is in the fantasy playoffs. Hopefully Dak is back and healthy and to his full self in that game. But it's it's not looking like it. And fortunately, with the Eagles, Jalen Hurts is a rushing quarterback. So when they are running the ball, he does get involved a little bit. Now, when they're ahead by a ton, it's usually the running backs who are getting those carries. But the fact that he is able to run the ball certainly helps his floor a ton. It was, it was interesting on... Um, uh, Sunday night against the Cowboys, they went up so big, and I I just thought they were going to complete yeah. completely abandon throwing the ball, but they couldn't really get much going in the third quarter, and, and Dallas crept back, and then they turned it on a little bit more and and had the the passing touchdown there in the in the fourth quarter, I believe. So I they have had a a positive pass rate over expectation in most of their games. This season, they they went extremely run heavy against the Jaguars in, was that week three or four? Mm -hmm. But it was raining quite a bit in that game, which I think explains that that run heavy usage. So whether anyone's going to challenge the Eagles, no. But I think the offense is still efficient enough that you're going to want to continue starting these guys. And yes, they'll have, you know, A.J. Brown and I think Devontae Smith will have some clunker of games. Uh, down the stretch given these teams that they play but they are efficient enough that they can score on on any given drive and that immediately makes up their value yeah they I mean that's the tease right as we've seen like they they are willing to be aggressive especially the open of these games and they're efficient and it's like man these guys should just be smashing and then just they don't get pushed in the game and then they just let it let off the gas and just, yeah. you know, just smoke teams out with the run because they are such a good run game and they can. Uh, and that's been the tease. I mean, AJ Brown has seven catches in the second half this year. 
Uh, Dallas Goddard, same, just seven. I mean, I mean, Jalen Hurts has 51 pass attempts in the second half this year. Um, it's like, man, and, and think of how good Jalen Hurts has been for fantasy, basically playing yeah. a, half of, a half of football. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, he would be in Josh Allen territory if they had to, to actually throw the whole game. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, we, we, we cheer for it. We hope for it. Uh, but, yeah, definitely one of those things that uh, under the hood, it's like this could be so much better than what it is. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, let's let's run through a couple week seven uh, kind of takes here. Um, this is uh, our first, like, real stinger of a bye week because the NFL, really, the, the context of the season has been it's been a really down offensive season. And when you look at the teams that are on bye this week, the Bills, the Eagles, and the, and the Vikings, as part of the three of the four teams, and then the Rams, who at least have Cooper Cup, uh, we're missing a lot of really good fantasy players this week, especially when we were talking about quarterbacks. I mean, especially from a DFS perspective, Josh Allen has just been like every week we've just been putting Josh Allen in every cash lineup. And then if not, you just put Jalen Hurts in. Uh, Neither of those guys are there. Now, if for gamers that had those two guys in season long leagues, obviously waivers have run and they pick those guys up. But who is a a favorite streaming quarterback you have this week if if you don't have if you have to put in a guy for one of those uh, guys they're off by? Because even Kirk Cousins was a starter. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's Trevor Lawrence. He faces the Giants this week and the Giants blitz at a league high 50% of the time. They play man at the fourth highest rate in the NFL. And Trevor Lawrence has dominated both both of those coverage types. He has a 0.19 EPA per play against the blitz, which is seventh best in the NFL. And against man coverage, he's 12th in the NFL with a 0.25 EPA per play, which is outstanding for both of those marks. So the fact that they're playing a a weaker defense, again, the, the Giants is, it's one of those things where people are looking at their win total and thinking that they're better than they actually are. And the fact that they're getting Travis Etienne involved a little bit more, especially in the passing game, I think helps Trevor Lawrence out quite a bit. Nice, nice. I, I like that call. Uh, definitely uh, uh, was a guy that probably was available in a lot of leagues as well, considering how he played the week before last and yeah. probably was a trepidation. So hopefully people were able to scoop him up, get him in some lineups. Uh, the, invert, the same question, but talking about the, the pass catchers, you know, obviously we we have no Diggs, we have no Justin Jefferson, no Cooper Cup, uh, no A.J. Brown. Uh, it, we're going to have to reach into the bag here, right? Like we're going to have to reach in uh, on the bench here and look for some wide receiver gems. Is there anyone that stands out to you as uh, a guy that really probably hasn't been started in a lot of leagues, but has a good outlook this week? Yeah, there are two guys for me. The first was, and I came up with two because the first one is Josh Reynolds, but he wasn't practicing yesterday. And okay. if he is going to play, he's he's been averaging about nine targets per game over the last three games. His routes run participation has gone up in each of the last three weeks before their bye, DJ Chark is still out and it looks worse for Chark than it initially thought. The other guy is a guy who plays tonight in Marquez Callaway. He's averaging 5.3 targets per game in his last three. Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas are both out tonight. He's run a route on 86% of his dropbacks and has a 12.8 yard average depth of target. I'm not sure who's starting at quarterback for the Saints quite yet. But if it is Jameis Winston, then I'm all in on Marquez Callaway because in the three games that Winston has played this year, he's targeted wide receivers at a 69.3% rate. Andy Dalton was just at 49.4% 
in his three starts. So I do think there is an opportunity for Callaway to have a big game this week. Yeah, he's going to, they're going to need him to, uh, tonight in in that game and Thursday night. And it's actually one of the, I, I, we've good, had a tough run out on Thursday nights, but th- this doesn't, this still at least has promise, right? Like compared to the last two, there's at least hey, upside I, here. I'm we just can, looking forward to Al Michaels, uh, waxing yeah. poetic about how bad the game is. If we're, you know, three to six in the middle of the third quarter. Yeah. I mean, I'm here for all Michaels, uh, all, all of Al Michaels uh, takes as his ad reads for Lord of the Rings are pretty fun too. Uh, and then, uh, him bringing up whatever the game total was at yeah, some point. Right. Uh, we're always here for that. Yeah, uh, Josh Reynolds definitely is a is a very intriguing guy, and obviously we're recording this Thursday, so keep tabs on his practice Thursday and Friday, especially coming out of that bye. But uh, this is a three base wide receiver team, and they're going to have to be able. They're going to probably have to throw the ball against Dallas. So I definitely yeah. like Reynolds uh, as as another guy that's just like you know what you're getting. Like he's going to be on the field. He's going to draw targets. Um, and, there, and there's been production there in this Lions offense when they've been relatively healthy. I mean, obviously, they mm-hmm. laid that egg against the Patriots, but were really kind of uh, limited in terms of what they had at their disposal outside of Josh Reynolds, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. we, So, I mean, we'll give them a little hall pass there for that one. Uh, one of the questions this week, I don't know if it's necessarily like a week seven question. Maybe it's just more of a top-down question, but uh, – one of the bigger letdowns this season has been the Packers running backs. I think we thought in the range of outcomes that it was always going to be like these wide receivers, like could, could potentially be like have their limitations and thwart this offense. But one of the things everyone was counting on was Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. And so far, neither one of them have been really useful for fantasy football. Uh, Aaron Jones has been a top 15 running back just one week so far this season. If you have uh, the Packers running backs, I mean, are, are you looking to, to still get out on these guys or is there optimism uh, down the road for you? Like, how are you handling if you, if you have these guys on your roster? Yeah, it's, this is a very frustrating situation. It's basically the cowboy backfield, but in the north, and it's it's a near even split from a, a snaps perspective, a carries perspective. Aaron Jones has still had the edge from a routes run perspective in almost every game this season, and and that's why I'm a little bit more bullish on him rest of season moving forward. I think I'm. I'm not going out of my way to target Aaron Jones, but I do think that there is a potential buy low opportunity with him, given the fact that everyone is just out on the Packers offense right now and nobody really wants to touch it. But Aaron Jones we've seen has is one of the few running backs that has three touchdown potential in a given week. And I think it's, again, it's one of those situations where, Neither of them is really going to have the full season ceiling while the other one is still healthy. And that's just, it's, it's a reality we have to live with that they're, they're both probably no better than RB twos at this point. So it is interesting how they've deployed the running backs. They have used at least two running backs on just 12 and a half percent of their snaps this season, which is 12th highest, but it's, not nearly as high as people expected. I think it's one of those things where we assume rational coaching in that you want to get your best playmakers on the field. And Dylan and Jones are two of them, given they have Alan Lazard and Romeo Dobbs as their leading receivers right now. But 
that's just not the way the Packers are operating. And it doesn't seem like it's the way that they want to operate moving forward. So if I'm, if I'm choosing, I mean, Jones, I think is still ahead of Dylan rest of season. I'd be more comfortable rely uh, buying on Aaron Jones, given his pass catching pedigree more than I would Dylan, who seems like he needs a little bit more of a favorable, favorable game script to be involved in the offense. You look at the Packers, they're, 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 dead last or tops in the league, depending how you want to look at it in rate of throws at or behind the line of scrimmage. But they're also at the bottom of the league in yards created after the catch on those throws. So you would think like those short throws, that's where you're going to live, right? Like you're, you're getting yeah. the ball out to those and you're going to, but you're creating a lot of yards after the catch. They're throwing all these short passes, not getting anything out of them, which is not a great cocktail for any offense to, to, to operate in. I mean, uh, like the chargers are a team that's, throw the ball a lot at the line of scrimmage and they count on Austin Eckler to generate, you know, production after the catch. The Packers aren't getting into that right now. The Chargers are a team that they look not great. (laughs) The best way to say it. Uh, The last few weeks, Uh, they've got a number of issues going on between offensive line, the absence of Keenan Allen, like it's Joe Lombardi a problem. Like there's all these questions orbiting them. And it's starting to feel a lot like the Cardinals situation, right? Like we're like, we keep waiting yeah. for like the Cardinals to do something and like, they just keep not doing anything. Uh, they played the Seattle Seahawks this week who were a kind of like carnival for us to target for fantasy football defensively. Um, but we also found out playing the Arizona Cardinals, like <laughs> not every defense is an elixir for a struggling offense. So yeah. Could this game, like, do you see this game shooting out? Do you see, like, is this a wake-up game for the Chargers? Do you think they're still going to struggle? How are you handling this game from, like, just, like, a top-down perspective? I I do think it it definitely has the potential for a get-right game for the Chargers offense. I think from a DFS perspective, it's probably – it might be one to fade given that this Chargers offense has struggled and – People just sort of expect them to get the squeaky wheel against the Seahawks defense, but it, it just hasn't totally been there for the Chargers. They, from a volume perspective, they're third in passing yards per game, but they're only 19th in explosive pass rate. Justin Herbert's getting pressured at the sixth highest rate, which is, you know, huge because of the loss of Rashawn Slater. And Justin Herbert's average depth of target is way down this year. Over the past two years, he's at been at 7.4 and 7.5 yards, which is we're 24th and 21st in the league. This year he's down to 6.3 yards, which is 29th among all quarterbacks. He's just sort of dinking and dunking it. And, you know, Austin Eckler is a great playmaker, but Josh Palmer really is not. And like they they targeted him a, him a ton last week because Pat Sertan was locking down Mike Williams, but it's it's not the high flying offense that we're we're used to. They're not really executing on the level that everyone expected them to moving uh, heading into the season. So, from a season long perspective, you're you're starting all of these guys. You're starting Williams, Eckler, Herbert. But again, from a DFS perspective, I think there is some opportunity to fade this. And I think we'll talk about a game here in a second that I'd much rather target yeah on the, on the other side of the coin in that same game you know 
I kept was I was being reluctant, right, with the Seahawks. Like, all right, this is Geno Smith. Like now, like all right, one game goes down, two games. I'm like, all right, like all right, well, all right, okay. And then the third, then he's good again against the Saints. And I'm like, well, is this real? Like, is this real? You know, I had Dwayne McFarland on the show a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about how bullish to be on the Seahawks offense. All these changes they were doing. I finally buy in. I start ranking these guys high. Uh, start to handle them and we get it like an old school Seahawks game last week where like they just win running the football and playing good defense. Yeah. Um, we probably won't see their defense playing that good a lot of weeks, but also like it does put a little bit of trepidation in like saying like, okay, like this still range of outcomes exists for these guys. Uh, how aggressively are you still in on the Seahawks kind of offense based on what we saw last week versus the previous three weeks? I think last week was, a little bit of a fluke again, division game. So there's often some wonky things that happen in those games, but DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are, I think, performing well above expectation relative to what, you know, what level of expectation we had going into the season because everyone thought Geno Smith was a downgrade and mm-hmm. week after week, we've seen Geno continue to perform. I mean, he's, got some laser throws that he's making to Tyler Lockett in the end zone. And I think, again, this is one of the more concentrated passing offenses between DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett that, you know, it it seems like I know in years past, excuse me, it had either been Tyler Lockett week or DK Metcalf week. And it seems like they're coexisting a little bit more, which is, is great to see. But there really isn't aren't many other players that involved in the passing offense, which is good. So I I'm still bullish and, and excited about the Seahawks offense. Again, the fact that their defense is bad makes it, you know, they're similar to the Lions in that they're likely going to be forced to throw the ball a little bit more. They do have a, I believe, a slightly positive pass rate over expectation, which Again, all it took for PKO to become pass happy was to get rid of Russell Wilson. So um, I, I'm excited about this Seahawks team and, and think that they're those, those key pieces for fantasy football are ones you can rely on going forward. Yeah, Kenneth Walker looked great in his first start. Like, you know, his pedigree suggested he would. Uh, all right, I'll get you out of here on this one. Uh, obviously, I think we're going to see this game that we just talked about be popular and Dallas-Detroit be popular uh, from like a DFS perspective. Is there another game that you might be looking at and saying, this game's flying a little under the radar, but it could be something here? Yeah, I think it's the Ravens and Browns game. It's got a 46-point game total right now. Everyone... You know, when you see an AFC North divisional matchup, it's, you know, ground and pound, middle of the winter type experience that people expect. But both of these teams currently rank in the top six in EPA per play and both defense rank in the bottom six in EPA per play. So both offenses are able to move the ball. The defenses aren't really able to stop people on the other side of the ball. The Ravens rank eighth in pass rate over expectation this season, which is different than what they've been in the past. And I think it's in large part due to the fact that they're not really getting any production or efficiency from running backs rushing the ball. The Browns rank 28th in pass rate over expectation, which you say, okay, that makes sense. But both of these teams rank in the top three in explosive rush rate. They have the ability Mm -hmm. to break off these long runs and get into the end zone. I mean, I think, I remember seeing a play against uh, with Nick Chubb against the Chargers the other week, and it looked like 
everyone was just sort of moving in slow motion against him and he just plowed his way for 40 yards in the end zone. And, and that's the sort of explosiveness you get with this rushing attack. So I really like the the outcome for this game. Uh, I, I'm not totally sure if Rashad Bateman's going to be back, but if he is certainly someone to stack with Lamar, as well as Mark Andrews, who is getting targeted like crazy. And then on the flip side, using this Browns offense, David and Joku's had a really solid season so far as well. And is coming off of a down game, but it seems like the Browns may be forced to throw the ball a little bit more as their six and a half point underdogs. Yeah. They, this game definitely has, because these Browns games have been going really high over the total pretty consistently. Yeah. Uh, through six weeks, the opposing team against the Browns has hit their team total five or six games. So if, you, if you're on the Ravens side, that that, that bodes pretty well. Uh, and we've got a short slate where we talk about all the quarterbacks that are going to be off of the slate, like Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts, who've been popular. Uh, so Lamar Jackson has a clear edge as one of the potential guys to have one of these like 30 plus point yeah. games um, on the slate. Uh, and then you look at getting Bateman back, just how big of a positive that could be. I mean, they're with Bateman off the field, they're equivalent to 24th in, on offense and EPA per play as opposed to six with them on. And I know they ran hot in a couple of those games Bateman played. Uh, but where Jackson has kind of taken a step back is, you know, against the Blitz the past three weeks. You know, he absolutely roasted the Blitz the first three games. And then teams uh, have said, like, well, we're still going to come after you. And, you know, now he's he's completed 50% of his passes, 4.8 yards per pass if he gets the Blitz the past three weeks. You would hope getting a guy like Bateman back that can win one-on-one can open up some things outside of Mark Andrews because, like, the Devin Duvernays of the world, the Tylen Wallace of the world, Demarcus Robinson of the world, like, just aren't capable um, yeah. of that production. And, and Bateman looked really great the first three weeks. I mean, he was a big play machine. I think he had a gain of over 35 yards in all three of his first game, first three games of the year. So just getting that more of an explosive playmaker on the field um, is a positive. And Amari Cooper's still doing his thing, you know? You know, like, yeah. people left him for dead him and Tyler Lockett both got kind of left for dead this year because of the situations they were in yeah but uh man like the target stuff like they kept just showing up in projections and uh I'm glad that I drafted and ranked those guys as high as I did that yeah. and they were like never like picks I made that were like yes I got this guy <laughs> yeah. but like I just took them on principle and it's worked out and those guys have really helped a lot yeah. of my rosters uh, for sure. So yeah, uh, we'll take, I like that call though, because these, these Cleveland games have been kind of sneaky good for fantasy uh, pretty consistently. Uh, the yeah. defense has really struggled. So I like that call a lot. Uh, Sam, once again, great stuff. Always, uh, always appreciate you having, not having you on, make sure to let everyone know where to find you, uh, where to find all your work, guide them to anything you want to plug here. Yeah, so you can find all my charts and stuff that Rich mentioned on my Twitter timeline at Sam Hoppin. All of my written content is on 444.com. And then I do a, two, uh, a podcast every Wednesday with John Daigle and John Paulson that we live stream at noon. And, and you can check out that on wherever you get your podcast regularly. Yeah, and you're uh, near Daigle Live. So you guys get together at all? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been a while, but uh, in the, the football season us. keeps us, yeah, the in season <laughs> keeps us busy, but, um, cause yeah, he's a runner hoping, too, not on your level, but hoping to get together with him soon for, uh, some drinks in a little bit here. 
Excellent. Excellent. I appreciate it. Uh, that'll book us down in week seven. Everyone have a good, good week. We'll get you those wins, hit those cash lines. Hopefully you tip something over big, especially with the holidays coming. Good luck, everybody. And we'll be back in week eight. <laughs>